we have been praying for this weekend. We've been praying that we would be able to step back from this Easter weekend and say, only God, that he would do things that only he can do, that he would change lives, that we would see people come to salvation. And I pray that maybe that would even happen in this service today. I know that there, for the majority of us in this room today, we are here to remember, to reflect on what the Savior did for us on that Good Friday. But I know that there may be someone in this room right now who you're still here checking it out. You're here maybe to find out a little bit more of what Easter weekend is all about. And so as, as we talk the next few moments about the cross of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God has sent His only Son into the world for you because He loved you. For God so loved the world, that's what we're here to celebrate, that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. We have just finished at Westridge 24 hours of prayer, and I don't know if you were able to make it to the building, and I know that you've been praying with us over the last several days, but I chose to show up and pray in the early morning hours this morning as I came to the church, and lady here praying, and staff members have been here praying, and and I have really been thinking this year for whatever reason, I've been thinking about what was happening early on Friday morning, followed, following a night of betrayal by one of his disciples. He was abandoned by everyone who followed him. They all went running out of the garden. He was denied even knowing him by one of his best friends. And he dealt with mockery and, and false accusations by the Jewish religious council all throughout the night. And now even before the sun is up, Jesus is taken to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And when you look at the gospel accounts of his questioning, his questioning of Jesus, you can tell a couple of things about Pilate. First of all, he's absolutely fascinated by Jesus. He is fascinated by this entire circumstance. The other supposed messiahs of the day were people advocating that the Jews follow them in a revolt against Rome, in a political revolt, in a a violent revolt, trying to gather armies, people to fight. Jesus has done none of those things. Pilate appears to be truly dumbfounded by the fact that the religious leaders are asking that Jesus be crucified of all things, truly just because he was more popular than any of them were. Now, Pilate really doesn't care, let's be honest. But it seems that though he just wants this whole thing to be over, But if these Jewish leaders are being annoyed by Jesus, then Pilate kind of likes that. He enjoys that. So after some conversation between Pilate and Jesus, and Pilate finding no fault in him whatsoever, he chooses to have him flogged, whipped with a Roman cat of nine tails, 39 lashes to be exact. It's enough to kill many people or at least ruin them physically to the point that they would never speak out in public again for fear. But Jesus doesn't show fear. In fact, he doesn't even open his mouth against his accusers during that horrific beating. Following that that beating, immediately following, Roman soldiers twist a crown of thorns together. They beat it into his head. They ball up their fists. They hit him across the face. They yell at him in mockery. Hail, King of the Jews. 
The Romans cannot stand the Jews. The Roman soldiers that have been placed in this little outpost, they cannot stand this part of the world, and they are loving this moment. John chapter 19, verse 4, we pick up the story. It says this, it says, Pilate went out again and said to them, that would be the religious leaders and the crowd that had gathered, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. He's already had quite a punishment for a man that you found no fault in. No compassion for the one that was moved with compassion time and again. No forgiveness for the one who's promised to throw our sins as far as the east is from the west. No friends for the one who commanded people to love their neighbors and their enemies. No mercy, no grace, no peace, only suffering. And then John chapter 19, verse 5, it says, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. This week in preparing to speak today and just preparing my own personal heart to celebrate Easter weekend, I went through all the Gospels and I started with the night of betrayal, read through the crucifixion, and then Sunday's coming, by the way. I've read the story. (laughs) Read through the resurrection. But of all the things I read this year and I've grown up with these stories and have a personal relationship with Jesus, of all the things, the words that stuck out to me the most this year, this Easter, were Pilate's words, Behold the man. Take a good look at Jesus. For me, being raised in the church, it reminded me of one of my favorite hymns. Maybe you've heard it. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The song was written by a a woman named Helen Lamell. She was a music teacher at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. and She also led a a woman's choir that traveled with a well-known evangelist, Billy Sunday. And she was reading over the writings of a a lady who was a, a single woman, a missionary to Muslims in Algeria for 38 years. And here are portions of what Helen read from this missionary's journals. The missionary wrote, Never has it been so easy to live in half a dozen harmless worlds at once. Art, music, social science, games, motoring, the following of some profession, and so on. So then, turn your eyes upon him. Look full into his face, and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. Those words were written almost a hundred years ago. Before phones or computers were in your home, let alone in your hand, these women were writing about the distractions of this life. It's so easy to allow the things of this life to choke out the life of God within you. Jesus even warned about it in some of the parables that he told. Without knowing it, in his mockery, Pilate challenges us to do the thing that we should be doing continually. Look at Jesus. Behold the man. We have to take time to look at Jesus. And today, in this moment, on this Good Friday, I want you in your mind's eye to take the time to look at Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
when we take just a few moments and look at Jesus, what do you love about him? What are your favorite moments in the Gospels when you see him interacting with someone? Is it when he's welcoming children? Is it when he's ministering to outcasts? Is it when he's healing? Behold the man in Mark chapter 1 who has a person with leprosy approach him, this horrible flesh-eating disease that causes people to be outcasts from society. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved with pity because of the man's suffering, and he did what only he could do. He healed the man in that moment. Matthew chapter 9, there's a lady who's been dealing with, the Bible calls it an issue of blood for years and years, and, and no doubt because of her sickness, like really any sickness in, in this first century, she was deemed unclean by her family and community. And Jesus is walking by through a crowd. She's in the crowd where he's walking through and, and she reaches out just to try to touch one of the tassels on the edge of his shirt. She really didn't even want him to know that she was there. She didn't even want to touch the shirt. She was just hoping to touch a tassel, something that he wouldn't feel. And, and because she reached out in faith, God, the Bible says that she was healed in that moment. And Jesus stopped and says, who touched, who touched me? And after a little, uh, after a quick moment, the woman steps forward and knows exactly what he's talking about, even though he's being touched by a crowd full of people. She steps forward and says, it was me. It was, I, I was, it was me that was treating you differently than everyone else. It was me that was reaching out in faith. It was me that was praying and hoping that you would heal me today. And what does Jesus say? He turns to her and before he even says a word about healing, he looks at her and he calls her daughter, a term of affection to a woman who was outcast, to a woman who was thrown out of society, to a woman who no one really even loved anymore. He says to her, you matter. You're my daughter. She was healed that day. There's a story of a man in Mark chapter 9 whose son is being tormented by an evil spirit. and He, he takes his son to the disciples of Jesus and they failed to be able to help him. They couldn't remove the evil spirit. So then the man takes his son straight to Jesus and says, if you can handle anything, then you should be able to handle this. And I love Jesus's response to turn to the man and say, what do you mean if? And the man just looks, it's like, you caught me. I believe but help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? I want to believe in you so much, but when I look around at my own circumstances, I get confused. And to be honest, I've gone to church before. I've gone to some of your followers before God, and they have let me down from time to time. And you know what? People will let you down. That's why today and every day we look at Jesus. We behold the man. The man may have been saying, Jesus, listen, I don't, I don't know 100% sure what I'm seeing right now. I believe, would you help my unbelief? And so Jesus, when you go right to him, he does what only he can do. And he casts the spirit out of the boy that day. Jesus speaks love and life and wholeness. And that's why we don't fix our eyes on anything else but him. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is the only one full of grace and truth. We don't put our hope or dependence on anyone else but Jesus. Like Pilate, the world loves to challenge us. They love to try to make us doubt. They love to even talk to us in a mocking tone to look and behold Jesus. But you know what? It's okay. He can handle it. So go ahead and do that. He has never disregarded anyone who has turned to him. 
Look at Jesus. Look at the one who welcomed children, who ate with sinners, who forgave sin, who told us to love our neighbors, including our enemies. Look at Jesus. Look at the one who turned water into wine just to keep the party going. Look at the one who calmed the sea. Look at the one who cast, who says, you can cast your cares on me for I care for you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can look at Jesus. We can look at him. Look at the one who was the word made flesh. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the author and finisher of faith. Whether you are suffering today or persecuted, whether you are in sickness or in health, in laughter or in pain, you can never go wrong by looking at Jesus. I love what author N.T. Wright says. He says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, Look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. So today we look at Jesus. We behold the man. We look at the man of sorrows. Isaiah chapter 53 says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. As I was reading, Pilate challenged everyone in a mocking tone to behold the man. It reminded me of another moment. When Jesus first comes onto the public scene, There on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, right where the Jordan River meets, John the Baptist, his first cousin, is baptizing. And as Jesus comes into the crowd that day, John stops everything he's doing. And he says this, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. Born in Bethlehem. The shepherds in Bethlehem were responsible for raising lambs that would be brought to Jerusalem, particularly at Passover. Now, here we are on what we know as Good Friday. But on the day that Jesus was hung on that cross, it's the morning before Passover begins. And here is the Lamb of God. Look at Jesus struggling to carry his cross through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. After a Cyrenian man named Simon, truly just a passerby, is told to help him. He reaches the top of a hill known as Golgotha. And he's laid on top of the cross and nailed to it through his hands and his feet. And there he hangs. And today... We look at Jesus hanging there on that cross with soldiers still mocking, still hurling insults, with his back still in so much pain from the undressed wounds caused by the beating he took just a few hours earlier, he can hardly stand it. He lifts his eyes to the Father in the middle of all of this and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. For roughly 
Six hours on that Friday, he hung there. The Lamb of God, now truly taking on the sins of the world. And on that day, like they would every year at Passover, a priest would climb high to the top of the temple, to the pinnacle corner of the temple, to blow a shofar, a ram's horn. And many believe that at this time, like they had done hundreds of years, for hundreds of years prior, that they would blow that ram's horn four times, each one with a different meaning. The first time they would blow it, it symbolizes the hope and strength of God. And everyone who could hear it, that's what they would be reminded of in that moment, the hope and the strength of God. Then there would be three shorter, more broken sounds, indicating sorrow, sadness for sin. And then as much as you can blow short staccato notes on that ram's horn, there would be nine notes played very quickly, representing the broken heart of those who come to God. And then one last time, that long, unbroken tone again. And everyone within hearing distance would know in that moment that the first lamb, the one that was raised in Bethlehem, was being slain in that moment for the sins of the entire nation. It happened every year, every Passover, at the ninth hour, at about three o'clock. It's the same moment when the Scriptures tell us that Jesus looked up into heaven and with a loud voice cried, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and breathed his last. Would you look at Jesus for just a moment? Would you hear that trumpet sound in the background as the Lamb of God was slain once and for all? God sent the sacrifice, the last Passover lamb, the only one that we would ever need. The justness of God, the wrath of God, satisfied by the grace of God, by the sacrifice of God the Son. It's the only way it would ever work. All the sins of all mankind put onto the Son of God in that moment to satisfy the wrath of God. You may be sitting here saying, listen, you don't know what I've done. Listen, put the worst things that you can think of from your life on that cross right now. Put the absolute worst things, no matter what they are, hang them there. And I want you to know that whatever wrath and punishment you think you deserve has been taken care of because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. If you have things today that you feel like are keeping you far from Him, if you have things today that make you feel completely unworthy to come to him, can I tell you, when you put those things on the cross, can I tell you what Jesus says about those things? It is finished. It has been taken care of. The grace of God has satisfied everything that we need so that we can all come before him. The veil has been torn. We have complete access to him today because of the Lamb of God. Isaiah chapter 45 says it this way. God says, it had to be me. I'm the only God there is. 
the only God who does things right and knows how to help. So turn to me and be helped, saved, everyone, whoever and wherever you are. I am God, the the only God there is, the one and only. I promise in my own name, every word out of my mouth does what it says. I never take back what I say. Everyone is going to end up kneeling before me. Everyone is going to end up saying of me, yes, salvation and strength in God. And today... Today, we acknowledge that salvation has come and we remember it as we look, as we look at Jesus and behold the Lamb. We know Sunday's coming. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed, we said that God so loved the whole world, but God so loved you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that in this moment, God will meet you right where you are. You could pray in your own words to him something like this, God, today I come before you on this Good Friday, believing that it's not just a story anymore, but that this is personal to me, that you sent your son to die on that cross for my sins, that his blood was shed for my sins. Put my faith and trust in that today. I believe that today. So God, would you inhabit my life? Would you come into my life? Help me to follow after you with everything that I've got until I join you in eternity one day.